now uh, what the, the next uh, uh, presentation I'm going to pass on to uh, uh, Mrs. Hernandez, Jimmy Hernandez, and uh, I am going to say a little bit of her curriculum uh, so that it's uh, known as well. Kimberly Hernandez uh, was born in Paris, France, and grew up in Oregon. She holds an MA in Spanish Language and Literature from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada, and two BA degrees, one in Spanish Language and Literature and one in Arts and Letters from Portland State University in Portland, Oregon. Currently, she is a discipline lecturer of Spanish at NCCU. And I must say, you know how it always is, the recognition does not go as it should go. So I must say now, the reason I have the PhD and she doesn't is because we had to prioritize, we had to decide who was going to go for the PhD and who was going to remain, you know, watching the babies and doing all of this. And you know how it is, women always are the ones that are left behind. Uh, but I am encouraging her to uh, uh, continue on to the doctorate. She knows more than I do. She's been the reader, the proofreader. Uh, she's checked everything in Spanish and English that I write. She's the person that always puts up with all of my frustrations. And, and I'm, a, I'm a hypertense person, as you can see. And, you know, I sleep three, four hours, and I get up to write. And, you know, and I'm all frustrated at 4 o'clock in the morning by myself because that's the only time I can do my thing. And, but she's always putting up with that, making sure I have some tea, making sure that uh, the kids are you know, going to school and doing everything. So I, I want to get to mention that I want to give this recognition because uh, the doctorate is not mine, it's ours. The master is not mine, it's ours. And the publications are ours as well. So I cannot take the credit uh, alone. So please welcome her. With <laughs> so welcome, I'm Kimberly, um, he didn't mention about really what's coming up. Um, Dr. Hernandez and I have been traveling back and forth to Mexico for the last 20 years. Uh, I started learning Spanish when I met him and uh, he's always talking about wonderful Mexico. Two of our children were born in Mexico and our oldest child attended uh, school there, and so I was a typical Mexican mom, didn't have any English speakers around me, not even my children. <laughs> they were learning English as a second language at the time. Um, but what I want to tell you now is that he um, insisted that we drive, and this is like our fifth trip driving from, well, we, this is the first time from North Carolina, but uh, we had a five other trips from from Kansas with children in the car three days on the road and, and and three days back and this time we decided to go to Costa Chica well it had been a long time in planning um, he had uh, we had heard of Father Glenn in Canada and his work um, with the Afro-Mexican descended peoples and uh, we found some, we made this uh, interview documentary, which I'll, I'll show you the beginning of. I have to recognize, as you, many of you came in, our, our daughter, Cecilia, was giving out the uh, programs, and Max, who is at the camera, is uh, our son, and he filmed the interview while Dr. Hernandez was interviewing Father Glenn, and I had a backup tape recorder in case that didn't work, <laughs> just so that we made sure and had it on it, on, you know, had it down. And then um, we went back to the home in Veracruz, 
Well, in other words, we, we, we videoed, we interviewed. Then we went to Mexico City, and from Mexico City, we went all the way to the other, to the uh, Veracruz and the Gulf. And there, we edited, we transcribed. It was, it was early morning, you know, we had to get it done in order to present it at the conference that, we were that they were talking about. So this was all done within a period of two weeks. Right. Two weeks, something like that. And because uh, oh, the and interview was in English and we had to subtitle so it, we so that Spanish-speaking people could uh, also get and the. So I'll pass this around. This is, and this is a production from Veracruz. This is made in Mexico. And, and Kim is one of the sponsors, you know, so it's, it's crucial well, that I mention that. She's, she's always uh, putting money out there in these productions. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it needed to be mentioned too. According to Richard L. Jackson, in the beginning of the 20th century, the Europeans and the Blacks rediscovered Black people and their cultures in the Americas. He points out the new use and abuse Doesn't want to turn up, you know that? Once exoticized, blacks and their lands were made the focus of perspective defined as Donobismo or New Worldism. In Mexico, until the 1940s, the dominant African heritage of the populations and cultures had been denied. It was officially stated via all means of persuasion, including public education, that the African heritage of Mexico had been eradicated throughout the centuries through a so-called cosmic miscegenation. Under this New Worldism storm, towns populated by dark-skinned Mexicans in the South Pacific Mexican Costa Chica were rediscovered. Alfred Metraux encouraged Gonzalo Aguirre Bertrán to take up the challenge of explaining these allegedly new apparitions. Also, his government boss, Manuel Gamio, gave Aguirre Bertrán leave to go to Northwestern University in Illinois to study under Melville Herskowitz, who along with Raimundo Nina Rodriguez and Fernando Ruiz are now recognized as the Eurocentric pioneers of modern Afro-American studies. These Eurocentric academicians and their followers, who control an important part of Western academia, took African Americans as subject of study. This way of perceiving part of humanity, given their physical appearance and or cultural behavior, has recently been denounced by Ian Smart, a top theoretician of what he has taught Hispanophone Africana. Smart charges that for the Eurocentric academicians, Africans are, and I quote, an object of study just as much as insects could be to an entomologist, unquote. Eurocentric academicians are essentialists who ignore the human and cultural fluidity of people they make their subject of study and leave out their points of view. They trap these people in boxes and subject them to lenses that see the outer part only and are incapable of ca capturing voices, colors, smells, flavors, and much less souls. One of the major problems of the studies of the black Mexican populations, whether domestic or international, is that unaware at times, the Eurocentric pain is continued and therefore Father the capacity Blake, to Blake. understand from within the complexity of the phenomenon of the physical and cultural complexion of Mexico <coughs> and Latin America is hampered. Where if one were to follow the one drop rule or the so-called blood purity concept, one would find that the vast majority of Latin Americans, we have African grandparents, although we are yet to learn to recognize it, 
and say it with Maroon Bright. Aiming at spreading out things a bit more, we travel again to the now more famous Costa Chica of the Mexican South Pacific coast. We went to El Ciuelo, a town of Santiago Pinoteva Nacional municipality to interview Padre Green Jamón, a Catholic priest, legendary well, you can see this is a project that was completed by students at the University of Veracruz. It was a cheap job, if you want to call it so. We didn't have a lot of equipment. We needed, and uh, I suppose that. I have played this at, at school today. Right. Well, some, some of this equipment is very sensitive. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, they, I'll stop it. Um, that building was built, um, it's in Costa Chica. Do you guys know where Costa Chica is? Do you have any idea? You know, Acapulco is between, it's just south of Acapulco, down to, um, well, all the way to, all the way, all the way to Guatemala. All the way here, right? Right, right. right the Guatemala border begins, but that's considered Costa Chica. What really struck me with the interview with Father Glenn were the different questions that uh, Dr. Hernandez made to him regarding identity. He asked Father Glenn, well, how do you identify Afro-Mexican? How, how do you identify your, the people that you work with? And he actually, his, his answer changed depending on how long he was there. He was there, he has been there for 23 years. And, um, and also, how do people, the people living in this area, identify themselves? Do they say that they're descended from peoples that were brought uh, from Africa? And people say, the legend is that a boat wrecked, a boat was wrecked, and, and that uh, is where they came from. But uh, when he searches more, well, you kind of look like me, because Father Glenn is... Uh, is like uh, Professor uh, Smart. And so there was affinity because of their commonality in that regard, but people were very, very reluctant. Matter of fact, I, I, I think that he gave, well, he gave me the impression that people did not outright say that, well, we are descended from peoples brought uh, enslaved peoples. Rather, we're from the coast. That's who we are. That's our identity. We're from the coast. And they don't go further from there. They don't um, and go beyond that, so it's, it's a history that is kind of truncated. Just well, the, the Mexican government, uh, through education, erased our uh, link to Africa and taught us that we were the descendants of uh, Amerindians, well, Spanish and Amerindians, and although we do have uh, very, very uh, important roots in the First Nations people, we also have very, very important roots on the African people. As a matter of fact, many of the uh, First Nations are Afro themselves. And so forth. You know, it's, it's hard to establish the difference, the line. You know, I, I would say it's nearly impossible except for the ethnicity. There are, there's a group of people who, for all the looks, they are African in uh, Bolivia, uh, the Junga people, uh, they are Inca, but they look African. They are they, the costumes, the language, the traditions, the chewing cocoa leaves, and all of this. It's it's kept. Uh, Doctor Smart was talking about earlier this capacity of the African people to just come adapt themselves, and actually many of these African people came and carried the ethnicities of other people. They, the other people disappeared for various reasons. And the people who carried the culture were the African people. They were so so. Uh, uh, 
they, they have such ample spirits and skills and capacities that came to the land and adopted the land. It is not. It is true that this Africa at that time does no longer exist. Africa, it's a fluid thing, renovated itself. But actually, Africa amplified. It became a greater thing. It became a greater experience that now lives and throbs not only in uh, the United States, not only the Caribbean, but in Mexico. But so, I, I, I am passionate about so this issue. I'm sorry that this that didn't issue. Work anymore. We had some really good... Did you see the, the lagoon with the young boys in the boats, mm -hmm. you, you know, in the beginning pictures? We um, went to a place that, um, well, we were told it's just right over there, and we were on the road for like an hour and we're, you know, with big rocks, and when it rains, you can't get through, and... Um, but we ended up, it, it, they said, all we have to offer is lobster. And it's like, oh, gee, you know. <laughs> so this is a lagoon, too, that you can walk out, and, you know, the water's up to here, and you can go, and then the waves are over there, just you can hear them splashing, but you're, you're not hit with waves because it's a lagoon. And so Dr. Um, Hernandez said, well, well, you know, if that's what you have, you know, how, how much? And, and it's like, well, well, two to a plate. And, and so they took him in to see, and here they are alive, you know, in this uh, container in a cooler, right? And so, well, you know, give us four orders, right? Well, but so, they said uh, 120 pesos per order. $12 for, for two. two. Fresh, you know, and so, so I said, give me four orders. Right by where that picture was of the lagoon, here we are, oh, you know, and it, you know, the, the fresh lobster, the, 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 the style of life. And another place we went, and this is a place on the end of a peninsula that um, people communicate more by boat than by land because it's so isolated, they don't have any, any electricity, and it was like, are you open? And so they had turned on music by the, with the radio of their car, and uh, they have ice in order to keep things cold. Keep and, the corona cold. And so uh, <laughs> the, the people that really, it, you, you tend, and then they showed us, well, you can stay the night if you want. And they had this loft, you know, with the, 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 everything natural. I mean, you don't have uh, tile and or cement and uh, uh, it, it's all uh, natural uh, things from the land. So. Um, but the camaraderie is something, talking about carnival, you know, the, the acceptance is so wonderful. You just want to feel like you can relax there. And it's not all that hubbub, right? So I don't want to say any more, but um, just, you know, I'd like you to experience something like that. Keep an open mind. And thank you for having us. To, uh, to close, I, I will not subject you uh, uh, so much more to uh, of anything, but uh, I wanted to share, and I had programmed to share a little bit of uh, some thoughts that I have written. This is a book that is under publisher review. I have been writing these thoughts uh, for the last 20 to 23 years. And uh, it's uh, various uh, experiences that I have uh, had, uh, whether they are uh, abstract personal experiences or physical experiences. Uh, well, uh, matters both uh, appear here. Some of them are just thoughts that happen to the mind. And this is, of course, it's in Spanish. So again, I, uh, it will be a, a, a bad thing if you do not uh, understand the language. But uh, like Dr. Webster said, you know, just uh, let the rhythm take you, if it has rhythm. So this is uh, called Infinito, and this is to language, a lenguaje. Desgraciadamente tengo que usarte, debo impresionar, me fuerzan, 
Los caminos que para mí has abierto se desvían, si acaso pasajeramente. Te roban de posibilidad y significado. ¡Estructura! Gritan que para embellecerte aún no captan tus capacidades. Te limitan. Recuerdo mi viaje contigo, asidos de la mano, entre sonidos cruzando fantasías y rompiendo barreras de significado. Amándote, nunca siendo a un lado aquello que incita al movimiento, ¿por qué he de negarte mi imaginación si me has llevado en la jornada, por las sinuosas veredas del encuentro y me has salvado de sucumbir ahogado en el océano de las estructuras? Nuestro encuentro ha sido maravilloso, tus demandas son claras y siempre estás ahí cuando en los momentos más oscuros yo te necesito. Me lastima que tener que confrontar al adversario usándote, aquel rival que pretende nuestra relación romper para justificar su entendimiento sobre el tiempo, el lugar y forma. There are grammarians that attempt to make language a static thing, language is the most fluid thing. I heard a critic, cultural critic, mention that this is a living thing, that this is something, an extension of humanity, and it transforms, the moment that it leaves us, it transforms, it's a living thing. You cannot structure it. And this is uh, a cold desvestido, and I better get my glasses on, because I'm starting to become blind. I begin by opening uh, with uh, a translation of um, a, some verses written by William Blake. William Blake uh, translated Pablo Neruda, he's a great poet uh, in my view. Eh, Ver un mundo en un grano de arena y un firmamento en una flor silvestre, tener la infinidad en la palma de tu mano y la eternidad en una hora. Esto es de William Blake. Desperté. Y ahora bajo el yugo de la libertad, quimera, busqué mi reflejo en la tapa pulida por el tiempo del cofre que guarda el tiempo en mis memorias. Añoré encontrarme entre los manantiales de mis sueños. Decié creer que percibía el arco iris entre las lágrimas de un cielo enfurecido y el resplandor martirizante de la negra noche del espacio sideral. El cristal con el que creyera ver colores en antaño desintegrado ahora en el vacío, lo busqué en mi desesperación mundana, mas no pude ver como sabía. Me encontré a la intemperie, a merced del abandono, absorbido por la nada, o sea, el todo. Y las fuerzas desatadas permitieron flujo pleno a la imaginación. Desde un punto en el espacio, me encontré latiendo en la mera perdición del infinito. Desarmado, Ahora, y sin lo conocido humano, estoy solo e inerme ante el universo. Somos uno y nada. Del yo, fulminado por la intensidad, nació lo amorfo. Y en la contemplación encontré mi ruta. No one of those feelings that you get one day that everything that you're supposed to know holds no value, and your world just becomes disintegrated, and you are totally... And you know that what you have been told holds no value and that life is so divine only if it's one second and that one second is an eternity when you have consciousness of that time and I, I, I just felt that and, and that, that was what I, I tried to capture in this thought 
And this, this is another thought, it's called centuries of lies, or a very yet, siglo de mentiras, century of lies. ¿Y qué importa? Si en busque la verdad, se encamina hacia el fuego, y si se quema o se ilumina, es inmaterial. El camino a la luz es total incertidumbre. Entreguémonos al universo. Mas esa lucha por saber que nos consume expulsa la imaginación fuera del físico. De la combustión emana la fuerza. En este medio se produce el ser. Así se abre el alef que libera la energía y que en ese momento enciende la conciencia. Existe un punto de partida. Para ver se requiere aventurarse más allá de las comodidades de la tal seguridad, efímera ilusión del mundo de las sensaciones corporales. Rompamos el cerco, la proyección, la reflexión, la identificación. La expansión de lo que hablo sucede en el mundo de lo abstracto y solo una mente atrofiada por lo material, extraviada en el tal fui o seré, es incapaz de confrontarse y entender que la eternidad es un instante al que nos ha dado por llamar años, lustros, décadas, siglos o milenios. Hoy y aquí. Esto lo escribí el 20 de septiembre de 1990 después de leer una novela fabulosa de Sinclair Lewis llamada Aerosmith. Sinclair Lewis es un North American a novelist who won the 1929 Nobel Prize for Literature. Eh, este es un, un pensamiento que llamo rivalidad y esto lo escribí para Alice Walker uh, this was written uh, for Alice Walker and, uh, it was after I read uh, Color Purple uh, I, I, one of my professors told me about a situation where uh, she's playing and uh, she's had this kid she's playing with in the big house where she grew up and she's the only uh, a black child The other kids she plays with are white children. But the child comes with the photographs and tells the mom, Mom, which one am I? And, you know, it, it came to realize, you know, how all of those perceptions of selves are learned things. How we see ourselves. Of course, it is not up to us many times, you know, how we see ourselves. You know, we are labeled or pointed, this is what you are. So it says, por naturaleza soy incapaz de ignorar los mandatos dictados por la conciencia. En mi comportamiento rehúso ser marioneta manipulado por la envidia, el odio o la avaricia. Adoro la vida. No me estanco en ningún entendimiento, intento ser humano y busco. Me busco en ti, exploro lo aprendido y el reflejo de otros en mí. Comprendo la rivalidad innata con mi mundo. No existe la comodidad en la conciencia. El ser por estar no es ser, ni el dominio es poder. ¿Y qué es lo que me alimenta? Saber que la fuerza somos tú y yo en el mutuo entendimiento. Eh, este es el, el último pedazo que voy a eh, compartir con ustedes. Se llama Confrontación. Y esto cuando empiezo a reflexionar eh, sobre pues, el, el yo, I, I start thinking about what it means to be I, and you know how you are tied to your ancestors and to your children who are, are, will come. 
And uh, this is, uh, I begin by saying, lo efímero de lo eterno, proyección y reflejos, la esencia. Eh, por destino soy expresión de innumerables vidas. De una soy producto y de otra soy factor. Soy un palpitar, una ilusión. Soy el punto en donde se bifurcan. Soy reflejo y proyección, un lugar entre seres. Soy. El contacto entre ascendencia y descendencia, soy lo pasajero del ánima, el ombligo por donde la vida nutre a lo astral, soy la puerta por donde entra y sale el espíritu universal, soy estación en donde posan quimeras hechas realidad, soy deseo, morbo, aberración, ignorancia, sufrimiento, cobardía, sacrificio, coraje, aspiración. Aventura, sueños, determinación. Soy forma de lo que fue y será. Soy esencia, soy espíritu, el fantasma en carne. Soy entendimiento e imaginación. Y de la fuerza de mi voz depende toda una conjuración. Soy nave de material frágil en la que viaja un alma eterna. Soy lo palpable de un abstracto, la parte tierna. El algo pasajero de la flama que arde, el estado fugaz, el contacto, la prueba palpitante de las mil y una determinaciones, desde donde el círculo constante marca su principio y fin. Soy una huella en el camino, estampada por aquellos idos, otro eslabón de la cadena, otro punto en la constelación, ese algo peregrino que une a los que fueron con los que serán. Soy la voz de otros tiempos, reflexiones, quizá la claridad que eche luz para el camino. Mi temple es decisivo, así como el temple de fantasmas de ayer y de mañana determina al yo en este plano. Mi temple es reseña, en sí es experiencia para el esperado, es la voz dueña que llega del pasado y que desde mí departe hacia otro tiempo. Mi temple refleja mis ancestros, soy relato vivo de lo que ha ocurrido, soy el eje de lo dicho y hecho, y de lo que resta por decir y hacer. Mi temple es el espejo para la descendencia. Nuestro temple es sustancia, el néctar que alimenta raíces, tronco y ramas, que en su primavera florecen y dan fruto que madura. Nuestro temple ante el invierno atrapado en este monasterio, desde, algún, desde un algo que se llama siglo XX manifiesta, intima su origen, su poderoso sueño. Nuestro temple ante el invierno, ante el retiro involuntario, atitudeado. No obstante, su espíritu sideral hoy vibra, toma forma en la conciencia y se adueña de lo que en él fue, de lo que en nosotros es y de lo que en los nuestros será mañana. This I, I wrote this thought uh, after reading uh, a, a novel called South uh, by William Faulkner, so 1989 Thoughts. Uh, I really thank you for uh, uh, being strong and joining us in this uh, uh, gathering to uh, recall the ancestors uh, in the region now called Veracruz, who uh, up to this moment have been trapped in oblivion. And please uh, uh, receive my warmest invitation to accompany us for, accompany us for the next Noche de Candela which should take place on the 1st of November. This will be at the NCCU. And hopefully we'll now have 
uh, more people together. We're gonna throw some more uh, uh, ideas, gonna invite uh, some other people to participate. And hopefully you will have some ideas. What I would like to do is make a big table of offerings. Es el uh, de los right, it's the day of the dead. And uh, uh, well, I am starting to be known for cooking that I haven't done, so I might as well do some cooking. And so we're going to have these offerings, delicacies that uh, we usually offer to our ancestors. And many of these de delicacies are actually called in other places of the Caribbean Creole cuisine. I have run, run into a lot of these delicacies now in, in some of the Caribbean islands and I come to realize that uh, Mexican food is really Caribbean food. And that, you know, many times people in the United States uh, may not be so wrong when they call everybody Mexican from the whole continent. It doesn't mean from Mexico, you know, and it's not ignorance, it's just a label. Maybe we have more in common. But anyway, the idea is to, to be able to uh, remember these uh, facts, historical facts that have been forgotten, and to add to the official history of Latin America this very important part. And, you know, it is not out of the goodness of my heart only. I also know that it's good for business, and I know it's good for business in Mexico to make these uh, recognitions. It will open doors into Africa, it will open doors into the rest of the Caribbean, it will uh, tie us. And it is not I, it is the government, who is all, the new government, who is already doing it. So thank you very much. I think that we deserve an applause, an applause for all of the audience.